Welcome to Making Connections, a WMNT series on diversifying our future. Cause I couldn't get my breath He said, boy, you got something Could well mean you're dead You're corn, corneosis Black lung blue You get the one, you get the other Either way you lose I've always been a miner Breathed coal dust all my life Too old to learn a new trade But can I tell my wife You know, it's not our fault That uh, we got black lung it's the company's fault that we got the black lung. We was just trying to keep the lights on for America, help in America, and uh, I think the company's ought to uh, help the coal miners as, uh, as most of them are dying out. You get the one, you get the other, either way. heaven, St. Peter's gonna cry, but I tell him the reason this poor boy had to die, the conconiosis, black lung blue, you get the one, you get the other, either way Hello and welcome to Mountain Talk, I'm Rachel Geringer, and in this episode we explore the black lung epidemic, which is in the midst of a sharp rise across the nation, and especially in Appalachia. Black lung disease is an incurable and fatal, but also preventable condition caused by exposure to coal and dust. One in five miners in our region have black lung, and that rate has doubled in the past decade. And yet, as rates of the disease rapidly increase, the Black Lung Disability Trust Fund is under threat. This federal fund exists to provide support to minors and their families in navigating the many expenses of living with black lung. It specifically supports minors in cases where the company they worked for has gone bankrupt. But as more and more minors are diagnosed with the disease, more and more coal companies are filing for bankruptcy, placing increased pressure on the fund. And, unless Congress takes action before the end of 2018, the coal excise tax, which pays for the fund, is set to decrease by more than half. These pressures combined would result in a massive deficit in the Black Lung Trust Fund at the time of greatest need. This week, a group of retired miners, family members, lawyers, and organizers traveled from Appalachia to Washington, D.C. to urge Congress to save the Black Lung Trust Fund. Before they loaded up in vans for the long drive to the Capitol, several of them joined WMMT's Mimi Pickering in our studio. We'll hear personal accounts from retired miners Bethel Brock and Jimmy Moore and Patty Ambergie, whose husband died of black lung. We'll also hear from Appalachian Citizens Law Center lawyer Evan Smith, who explains some of the history of the Black Lung Trust Fund. Well, hello. We are recording for Mountain Talk here, and we have some great guests in the studio, and we're going to talk about... um, black lung disease, efforts to um, get benefits to those that are affected, and action that's going on up in um, Washington, and and will continue on. So we have uh, folks from Kentucky, East Kentucky, and Virginia, and uh, we have lawyers here in case we get in trouble, and (laughs) all kind of stuff. So um, I'll let you all uh, we'll go through and introduce yourselves. And um, we have a, a Kentucky miner here. Tell us your 
your name and where you're from. My name is uh, Jimmy Moore, and I'm from Elkhorn Creek down at Chevy Gap, Kentucky, and that's uh, in Pike County. And, uh, you know, when I started uh, in the mines, they wasn't too much work and they wasn't too much pay back then, uh, back in the 70s. And, uh, of course, uh, when I became a miner and joined the union, I knew I was beginning to work in a dangerous career, you know. Uh, I also knew there were benefits that would be very uh, beneficial, although uh, the job was dangerous. Uh, was, uh, it was more pay for my family. I was raising uh, three kids at that time, and uh, uh, I had benefits. I had sickness uh, benefits. I had two weeks vacation. I had a lot of good benefits. They didn't tell me about the black lung back then, though, but uh, I didn't know I was accumulating all this stuff in my lungs that later on that it was going to be a problem for me to to breathe and uh, go along with my daily routine, uh, uh, you know, doing my chores and so forth, walking about, and uh, then later on maybe even causing uh, cancer or uh, different things like that. I have one slash one black lung. My breathing is uh, still a little bit too high to draw black lung. And uh, there's a lot of miners in that shape right now that uh, that has uh, black lung, but they're not uh, able to draw black lung yet. Uh, of course, it's going to get worse. It's not going to get better, uh, you know. Uh, and uh, I have a son that uh, he worked in the mines. He worked in a non-union mines. I worked with uh, uh, Beth Elkhorn, which was a union mines at that time. Uh, I was protected by the union from dangerous uh, work and harmful situations too. But my son, he worked for a non-union and he has got real bad, bad, bad lungs right now. He's uh, his his lungs is uh, is caked and eat up, and uh, of course uh, he signed up on his uh, state black lung and he got his state black lung with no problem. Even the company doctors uh, stated that uh, he he had real bad lung problems, and that's the way it is in Eastern Kentucky. It seems like there's a, a a a bunch of people right now that's eat up a black lung. And a lot of them is fighting, uh, trying to get their black lung, their state black lung. And like me, uh, I waited too long to sign up for state black lung. Now I'm trying to get federal black lung, which uh, uh, it would be, uh, it would help uh, my family, you know, uh, and so forth. But uh, we get, we we need to get what we was, we was promised. We was promised uh, uh, all this stuff in the union that we were supposed to get. We're supposed to get uh, uh, our union pensions, which now they're trying to take away from us. They're trying to take the black lung away from us. They, they're trying to, they're just fighting us on every hand, cutting Social Security. How's a poor man supposed to live? But yet our politicians, they can get raises uh, on top of raises. Uh, some of them has seven and eight uh, retirement plans. But uh, these coal companies, they have a lot more money than what we have. And they can, uh, they can sort of lobby against us, I guess, uh, bribe the judges and the so lawyers and so forth and the doctors. Uh, and that's, that's what our problem is, and we need to stand together. Uh, you know, when you got a book, it's hard to tear, but you can take one or two pages and it's easy tour. But you stick together with, and show them that we are together and we can fight them at election time, and that's when uh, that's when it really hurts. Well, thank you, Jimmy. How old is your son? Uh, he's fifty right now, and already has yeah, severe, yes, black lung. severe black mm. lung. Severe black lung. We have Bethel Brock is from over in southwestern Virginia, and has been very active in the Virginia black lung um, organizing. And Bethel, tell us a little bit about your experiences working in the mines and, and uh, what that was about. Uh, my name is Bethel Brock. I'm a retired uh, coal miner from Westmoreland Coal. And uh, we, you know, my experience, a lot of things started when MSHA made the New Health and Safety Administration laws 
for black lung in 1969. And uh, miners were exposed to coal dust, rock dust, and air debris for decades in the coal mine where they worked, or we worked, for the next 20 years, the incident of black lungs spiraled down as we tried to take measures of prevention. Then the next 12 years, the rate of complicated black lung grew to unheard of numbers in miners as jobs became hard to find and miners feared not working in dust would lead to their being fired for refusing to perform their job in dangerous dust levels in the air. Uh, <clears throat> there is very solid cause for uh, the tr this trend of coal mine dust escalated to the highest levels of exposure since the year of 69. The coal companies and MSHA along with state agencies failed to acknowledge or mount any enforcement to lower the amount of dust that constantly evaded the very air that miners had to breathe. Oh yes, the federal government set standards for allowable dust in the coal mine to not exceed four millimeters per cubic foot of air mm -hmm. in the mine. However, the law is only as good as the enforcement of it. Coal companies are not only uh, have not only ignored pathetic levels of dust in the mine working areas, but took steps to pass dust control limits set by MSHA by falsifying dust taken to measure the amount of dust particles breathed by working miners. Some coal companies have found guilty, been found guilty of tampering with dust samples after the miner wore the cassettes to monitor the dust levels of dust measured for their shifts. Many miners have pressured, been pressured by mine bosses and managers to place their samples in areas of the mine where little dust like the intake fresh air and even <clears throat> turning them off for most of the working shift. Even when the federal mine inspector came by, he would uh, allow the company to take the miner off the job that he was assigned to, like a roof drill or miner, and put him in clean fresh air just for that shift when they're being sampled. And every miner that you ever meet will tell you dust sampling what has always been a fraud. And that's what led to our problems. I have complicated black lung. And that's how it came to be with miners is because of the dust that, uh, that w was not controlled. It was just, and they told us if we wore a dust mask that we would not get black lung. Well, we were gullible and we fell for that story. We fell for it and uh, we worked in massive amounts of dust thinking that the dust respirators are mostly hoping it would take care of the problem of breathing dust. And uh, years later, we, we found that the fine micro-sized dust went right on through the filters, and we breathed and contacted black lung that way. And, and what are you seeing with uh, miners over in Virginia? Are there increasing numbers of folks that are uh, coming to you all and, and finding out that they have black lung now? Sure, just like parts of Kentucky and West Virginia. Virginia has uh, an epidemic of black lung. We've seen, we have uh, estimated uh, at least 1,500 miners who are affected with complicated black lung. And uh, we, it's becoming an epidemic you know, uh, there. And, and miners continue to work in dust. I know they do. And uh, <clears throat> that that's going to lead them to, we have miners. One miner was 28 years old, and he was ready for a lung transplant. And in their 30s, in their 40s. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, and working in this dust is just, miners are afraid to not work in it. When I worked in the mine, I worked under the UMWA, contract uh, for miners and <clears throat> when the boss put me in really bad dust yeah you know, I told him I'm not going I'm going to refuse to work in this because you know the UMWA contract allows a miner uh, is allowed to withdraw himself from any area of the mine that is unsafe or unhealthy and uh, so and they actually in reality they did try to fire me uh, using other excuses you know 
which is the way they go with it. Uh, but DMWA, uh, we had grievance procedures and we got it settled and I kept my job. But now what if I'd have been non-union? They would have fired me and I would have gone home. My job would have ended. That's why miners continue to work in it. Oh, thank you. Okay, now Patty Ambergie is also with us um, from Letcher County and uh, the widow of a miner and a longtime fighter for um, miners and their families and the environment. Tell us a little bit about your story, Patty. Well, uh, I was listening to them as they were talking there, and it was bringing back a lot of memories that my husband I came home with talking to he and would be upset about. My husband uh, worked. They gave him 23 years in the mines. And uh, when he died, my husband's oxygen was on eight, and he was begging for more. As he said, uh, he was totally eat up with uh, with black lung and as he said there's all the air out there in the world Mm -hmm. and i can't get none and why can't i and i would pretend to turn the air up but there wasn't none to turn up because he had i've had it exceeded uh eight and that was what the oxygen tank did when i exceeded eight a normal person that would have uh, eight on their lungs, it would bust them. And that is one instance of what black lung does. Another thing I was listening to what Bethel was talking about there, my husband worked at a non-union mine. And when it come time for uh, different men to do their breathing samples and wear their breathing samples, uh, when my husband first went to work at this coal company, he worked on the outside. And he said he wore the mask for this man that's supposed to be, had turned his mask in. He wore it on the outside. And when the day shift was over, they turned that over in that man's name as though he wore it inside the mines. And another thing that my husband really got upset about is uh, when the mine inspectors came. When the mine inspectors, he said, would come, uh, you could see them roll down the window just a little bit. And they would go walk around the outside and you would see every who was the boss that day of that mine, of that mines, they would be an envelope going that, where that little section of the window was rolled down there would be an envelope go in there and he asked one day and he knew what it was and he was cursed out and told him to shut his mouth up that uh, that was something they had to do and those when the inspectors come they paced everything in their minds and went right on but those little envelopes went in every month uh, my husband uh, he fought three and a half years to get black lung. Uh, he's seen in all 14 doctors. It took 14 doctors to get him his black lung. He got state. And after he got state, um, he lived for a while and then he passed away. And I finished drawing a half of which I was entitled. Then I turned around and had to sign up to get uh, federal. Well, for me to get federal, actually with all of those reports that had already been given in, they turned me down with all the reports that I had. And then we actually found one that hadn't been sent in. So when we sent this back in, then I got it. But it still took me equivalent of four years to get something that was entitled to me for where my husband had died uh, to give give me safety after he was gone and then there i was denied of it that's amazing we we also have evan smith here who's uh, currently with the appalachian citizens law center and i think you were represented by them weren't you patty and um evan could you tell us a little bit about the black lung benefits program that we have right now? Yeah, the Federal Black Lung Benefits Program was created um, at the tail end of 1969 and really started going into effect in 1970 
by Congress following the Farmington mine disaster. And black lung associations from around the country, but especially in West Virginia, really fought hard to say that there needed to be a federal benefits program because a lot of the state workers' compensation systems weren't good enough and didn't treat people fairly. And so a federal um, black lung benefit system was created in 1970. And so it's been around now for almost 50 years. Um, and the, that system, what it provides is totally disabled coal miners uh, with, who are disabled due to black lung. It provides them with um, monthly monetary benefits and then also health insurance. Um, and the amount of money that we're talking about is very modest. If we talk about a coal miner who's totally disabled due to black lung and, and has a spouse to support, that coal miner only gets $990 a month in black lung benefits, even if they go through this long process. Um, and then widows can also qualify if their spouse either was uh, awarded black lung benefits um, while he was alive or if um, the, he died due to black lung. And widows, the money they get is even um, more parsimonious. They only get $660 a month. So it's, it's not a whole lot of money, but that bit of money can often make the difference in people about being able to pay their bills or not. This is often the difference in people about, um, you know, having to live a life of poverty or be able to maintain, you know, a, a basic middle class standard of living. And it, it um, I mean, it sounds like a wonderful program, at least the idea of, of being able, understanding that people have this disease and should be compensated. But I know the history of it has been um, very up and down as to whether the, the whole application process and the, the length of time that it's taken people, I mean, almost from the beginning of the Black Lung Program has been, a, been an issue for people in the coal fields. What, what is, what's that all about? Yeah, delays have plagued the Black Lung Benefits Program since it was first created, and that's still true to this day. Right now, a coal miner even with clear evidence of black lung, clear evidence of disability, can expect the process to take three to five years. And often the process can take much longer. It's not uncommon at all for cases to take 10 years, even 20 years. Um, and so, and during that process, you've got people who are, you know, almost by definition, sick and elderly. And so, sadly, uh, it's just a fact of the Black Lung Benefits Program that a lot of minors never get to see the benefits that they qualify for and are entitled to because they pass away before the process ends. Now, the the reasons for the delays um, have varied over time. And right now, the the two big things is that the, the Department of Labor has a large backlog of these cases. So it takes a lot of time just to get the people at the Department of Labor to kind of have the hearings and issue the decisions. And also another part of that is that the coal companies and insurance companies who are responsible for paying the benefits, they don't have to pay as long as they have an appeal or some sort of other challenge going on. So they tend to drag out these cases even longer because they'd rather pay tomorrow rather than today. And so sort of that, that contributes to the backlog and you just end up having a, a, an entire process that it takes, you know, a, an inhuman amount of time. Seems to um, a lot of what Jimmy was saying about the, the companies fighting everything. Mm -hmm. Seems like that is a big part of the getting the black lung benefits. You know, it's not our fault that uh, we got black lung. It's the company's fault that we got the black lung. We was just trying to keep the lights on for America, helping America. And uh, I think the companies ought to uh, help the coal miners as uh, as most of them are dying out. Uh, you know, like uh, our, my stepfather, uh, he had black lung real bad. Of course, he died with a heart attack before he got his black lung. And uh, these older coal miners that's gone on before us, uh, have had real problems. I've watched a lot of them with oxygen, trying to breathe and uh, so forth. Like Patty was talking about her husband, it's it's uh, it's pitiful to watch somebody gasp for their 
for uh, a little bit of oxygen that they get. And uh, it's it's really not our fault that we got black lung. It's really not. You know, I have a friend that comes with me uh, to the Black Lung Association meeting. He's been trying for seven years to get his black lung, and they finally awarded him his black lung. But they told him that he could uh, have the money, but he but he couldn't spend it because he may have to pay it back. And uh, of course, uh, he didn't get no back pay yet, and they're appealing it. Uh, to see if uh, he can get it or not, but that's what they're doing. They're waiting for these uh, older people to die with black lung, you know, so their widows uh, can't can't grow can. anything. Is is that uh, where the coal company is appealing? Mm-hmm. See, that's what happens. Mm-hmm. The coal company appeals as long as right. they can fight it like that. Then and then they if they can, decide you don't actually have black lung, they can ask for that money back. They can ask for that money back. Well, uh, I didn't tell you that uh, on, on my case, I, I began my battle with black lung uh, procedures in, two, in 2003. I first uh, uh, signed up for black lung with the Department of Labor, and I got awarded for, and I drew benefits for about a year before the company secured their, uh, was able to get a, an appeal. And uh, then when I went under appeal, a doctor named Dr. Wheeler examined my x-ray and he said, no, there's nothing wrong with him. Well, uh, years later, they learned that this man had examined 1,500 x-rays and he had found nobody was complicated. Yet when the widows, when the widows became widows, (laughs) you might say, they, they had autopsy done of their minors and but they found there was complicated black lung, you know, quite a few. So they finally decided this doctor is not credible. You know, he's never awarded anybody. So I went on, and after they denied me on his report, then I went on and appealed, appealed a couple of times, and I said, you know, modifications somewhat more satisfactory to me. I'll just modify it on grounds of change of condition. And uh, so I went on for 14 years. It it took me to get my, and then finally, the I got a report from Dr. Kathleen DuPont, a radiologist who said my opacity had changed from uh, one centimeter to 12 millimeters, which, you know, put me in line with uh, disability. So, I took, uh, I filed that report, and the Department of Labor said, yes, he is disabled. And then I had trouble with the Department of Labor. Uh, She turned around and reverses her opinion after the company did not even appeal or anything. I mean, it was a done deal. So then I said, well, you know, uh, I told my attorney, I said, "Uh, what are we going to do? And he said, she said, I couldn't read the date of the x-ray on on the x-ray. And the doctor explained it out to, to the claims examiner. He told her, you know, the the date of the x-ray is embedded in the x-ray. You have to hold up the light. She's still stuck with her guns and denied me. And I got Inside Climate News uh, from California to do a story. And uh, uh, so Steve Sanders... Uh, hooked me up with them. Uh, they asked him for somebody to talk to, and they, they did a story on me. Uh, and uh, so then he said, I want to examine your uh, your uh, case with DOL, your file. So they said, well, you know, this is a privacy issue. We can't release his medical. So I signed off on it. So when he got through examining it, then the director of the Department of Labor said, show a rule, I guess, the claims examiner, and she said, we've made a mistake, he is disabled. So after that, they paid me, and two months' time, the company started paying me lifetime benefits. But uh, it's a shame that it takes that long to litigate something. It, it's really pathetic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, They're literally waiting for us to die. Yeah. You're listening to Mountain Talk on WMMT. 
In this episode, we hear from minors, widows, and lawyers about the fight to save the Black Lung Disability Trust Fund. This federal fund supports minors and their families in paying for the many costs of living with this disease. Black lung is on the rise in Appalachia, and yet, unless Congress acts to maintain or increase the coal excise tax by the end of 2018, the fund will enter crippling debt, which would effectively end this necessary source of support for minors and their families afflicted with the disease. WMMT's Mimi Pickering was joined in the studio by retired miners Bethel Brock and Jimmy Moore, Appalachian Citizens Law Center lawyer Evan Smith, and Patty Ambergie, whose husband died of black lung. And, and Evan, I just wanted to ask you, um, I think that it's what I know is a lot of uh, people don't have lawyers, and this sounds like a really complicated process, and, and I think you all at Appalachian Citizens Law Center are trying to help represent people. What's your whole... Um, what do you think about people going in without representation? You're right that there's a large problem with um, coal miners and widows having to go through this very complicated and very technical benefit system without lawyers. Um, and approximately, you know, about half the people go, you know, apply for benefits and don't have a lawyer when they're doing that. And that's a real problem because everything is so complicated. And then also, under the law, lawyers are not allowed to charge coal miners and widows. So a lawyer would even be free if people could get connected with one who'd be able to represent them. So, you know, I, I think that everyone should try to get an attorney that can do it. Now, there is a short, shortage of attorneys who will do these cases. And so that can be a barrier. And often in, you know, certain people live in geographic areas where there aren't any attorneys who do these. But uh, at Appalachian Citizens Law Center, that's one of the things that we try to do is to step into that gap and represent people with deserving cases who aren't able to find an attorney. And I, I understand for attorneys, it might mean waiting 13 years <laughs> before a case is settled or something. It's It can be tough. Yeah, that the same delays that make the process so frustrating for for claimants also makes the process frustrating for the attorneys who represent them because uh, under the law we're not allowed to charge um, claimants for working on their case and we can't get paid until the case is totally final after all the appeals after everything and so um, that, that really requires the attorneys to carry you know the, the cost of the case for that three, five, 10, 15 years that a case can take. And so I know that um, some of you are going to go up to Washington, be in Washington to speak to um, elected representatives and it, you know, um, and their concerns about continuing to be able to pay for black lung benefits. But so it, for me, it raises the question of who is supposed to pay for benefits? You know, is it the, um, it sounds like in some cases it's the coal company, but is, um, what's going on there? Well, the way I thought that uh, the companies uh, paid in for uh, insurance for each person. And uh, that's the way I thought it was, and the insurance is supposed to take care of it. But, uh, you know, John L. Lewis uh he signed the agreement that uh, the miners would be protected, uh, and uh, Truman, he also uh, was uh, there, and uh, he ensured that the U.S. government would guarantee uh, the agreement of this, uh, of our pensions and uh, so forth. And why they're trying to take it away from us now, I don't understand it, but uh, that that's one reason why our Black Lung Association is uh, forming. We got, like Brock said, he had one in uh, Virginia over there and one in Harlan. And uh, we're trying to get another one in Pikeville to stand together against these politicians that's trying to take away our benefits that uh, I don't know what poor people will do with the way the economy is right now. The gas prices are going up and their electric bills are going up and we have to have uh, food to live on and uh, so forth, but 
they act like the, the poor old coal miners are just uh, just dirt. That's just the way it is. And, and just like it was uh, in our forefathers, most of the time uh, when somebody got killed, they'd throw them over to the side until the end of the ship before they'd bring them out because they didn't want to stop production. But uh, uh, coal miners are... Uh, Seems like they uh, they get the worst end of all the deals, and like like I said, we uh, try to keep the lights on for people and mm -hmm. help America. Um, so let me just say then. Sure. Uh, me, uh, Go ahead. Uh, I'm I'm a UMWA member for 50 years now, and uh, John L. Lewis, he had like maybe a million members uh, working. Then it was all automation has changed everything, but. When he, he could shut the country down, if the miners didn't work, everybody burned coal. And uh, the President of the United States, uh, Harry Truman, uh, stepped in, in between negotiation. He said, you know, they were on strike for a contract. So he said, we guarantee, the U.S. government guarantees, that if the miners go back to work, if the company don't pay it, we guarantee its payment. If you buy a car and I signed as a second owner and you don't pay, they're coming after me. And that's where we say that the U.S. government stepped in between us and the company. They didn't have to do that. They thought they did, but they did. And and that's where that we think they're responsible for our pensions now. And was that creating the health and retirement fund? That yeah, that, that, that's the funding for the help. And it's, you know, uh, suffering now for funding. It's going to be worse. And in 2022, I think we'll be, we'll have to start taking less uh, money on our pension. You know, it'll be reduced if we don't get some funding. And there's a, uh, there is a uh, Orphan Mine Land Reclamation Fund that's uh, really well funded, and uh, that being something that was created by coal to start with, we're not asking the taxpayers to fund our our pension. We're asking to use something that created through coal, and we think that's what they should do. We know our coal service tax. Uh, we work for a coal service tax, and uh, <clears throat> I think we uh, most of it went down. Uh, downstate, about five percent of it come back to eastern Kentucky, you know, to fix our roads and so forth, and that's why we got so many potholes and uh, so many things like that. But I think uh, we should have got more coal service tax than what we did, also. I think a lot of us thought that, but one thing we haven't discussed here today is something that is very, very important, and it is coming up. And it's old saying, the days are clicking down on us. At the end of this year, uh, if something hasn't been done regarding the trust fund pertaining to the coal severance tax, and it hasn't been put either on a stay, voted to keep it as it is, or make it higher, mm -hmm. we want it higher. The co for the coal companies to pay their share. Mm -hmm. If his, this doesn't go in and it goes on by just like a wind, uh, the, uh, the wind of blowing, then we're going to sit here as black lung people and where we can do something, we can let Washington know, do something about this, put it as a stay as it is, don't let it go no lower. We want the taxes to stay as it is or higher. And I think Evan can give a little bit better on it than I can. <laughs> yeah, give us a little detail on, on, so where are these black lung benefits being drawn from and, and how are they being paid for right now? So under federal law, anyone who wants to operate a coal mine um, is supposed to get black lung insurance or they're supposed to be approved to self-insure and to do that they're supposed to prove that they have you know enough money kind of set aside in a bond that they'd be able to cover things one of the problems though and this has been a problem kind of throughout the history of the black lung benefits program is that 
some of those coal companies end up going bankrupt or those insurance companies go bankrupt. And so what Congress did back in 1978 is they created a trust fund that would be the payer of last resort, meaning if the coal companies where the coal miner worked, if they ended up you know, self-insuring but not being able to actually honor their obligations, then the trust fund would step in and take care of that coal miner so that the coal miner wasn't left high and dry just due to you know, the corporate situation of this company where they used to work. The trust fund has been paid for mostly through a tax on each ton of coal that's mined. That tax is currently at a dollar and ten cents per ton of underground mined coal, which you know at current um, prices of you know about seventy-five dollars a ton or so here is, is really a, a relatively small price in, in the overall part of coal. Um, th that tax rate is set to automatically sunset and go down to 50 cents a ton on New Year's Eve of this year, that is December 31st of 2018. So the problem is that if that happens, you've got a situation where you still have lots of coal companies in bankruptcy and heading that way. You've got lots of coal miners who, who are getting black lung really at unprecedented rates. And so there's more need than ever before at the time when the coal industry is kind of backing out of its obligations more and more. So the trust fund is more important than ever. And if the tax rate is not continued or increased, then the trust fund is going to end up with a deficit increasing by $10 billion between 2020 and 2050. And, you know, with the, with the direction that coal production seems to be going, I think that what that likely means is that the U.S. taxpayers would get left with a bill for, you know, on, on the scale of about $15 billion by 2050, unless Congress can do something now to make sure that the people who are profiting from coal production can share in the cost of the disease that's been related to it. And um, so do you all have some plans to um, tell people about that, get the word out? Well, I'm hoping this reason we're here today is to ask people to call Rand Paul, uh, Mitch McConnell, and Hal Rogers, and please ask them to either keep let that stay as a stay as it is to support and keep our coal miners that are coming on, not just the ones that are drawing now, the ones that are coming on in the near future, which God knows they will be more every day, I'm sure will be added to the statistics and we need that to be at least as a stay or added and this time when it is voted on ask them to keep it in there as a stay not something that has to come back to the board to be voted on again remember call Hal Rogers Mitch McConnell and who did I leave out? Rand, Rand Paul. Paul. <laughs> I left out Rand Paul. Yeah, and, I mean, and we didn't really touch on that. You know, I'm sure people think, well, there obviously we have a lot fewer miners now, so why should we, you know, be concerned about black lung? Isn't it going to go away? No, it's not going to go away. Uh, uh, you were saying fewer fewer mines, yes, but uh, what three years ago, how many miners were still working? Uh, those are the ones that's going to come up and suffer this consequences that has happened. And, and we had no idea it was going on. So uh, they're the people that is coming up is going to suffer this consequence. Only the, and some of our people right now is going to suffer this. They'll be have five choices and that's going to, that's not going to work. Mm -hmm. It's, it's unfair. It's, it's uh, taking our rights away. And I thought this was America. Um, tell us a little bit about the complicated black lung that is showing up suddenly in these younger miners in particular. Sure. <laughs> this uh, is Evan. So what uh, what gets called complicated black lung goes by a variety of terms and they all mean the exact same thing. And with a lot of things in black lung, the terminology can be kind of confusing, but complicated black lung 
uh, is also progressive massive fibrosis, which is called PMF. And essentially what that is, is it's just a severe form of black lung. You've got scars on the lungs that when you look at them on x-ray are at least one centimeter wide. And that severe form of black lung was essentially eliminated in the 1990s. You got to the point that, you know, you had fewer than, you know, one in 200 coal miners showing up with this. But what we've seen now is that rate has, has really skyrocketed. Um, we're seeing worse rates of complicated black lung now than the earliest data showed from back in 1970 when they first created the black lung benefit system. And so at this point, you've got roughly about one in 20 experienced Appalachian coal miners getting this severe form of black lung that Bethel and many other people in our area have. And it's incurable. The only thing you can do is potentially get a lung transplant. And so it, it's a real horror for our region that this severe form of the disease has come back. So you two miners, um, do you think the companies could have run coal and uh, without killing all these people, without giving everybody black lung? Well, uh, when I started working in Westmoreland in 1968, you know, the idea was uh, how much coal can we run? Production was the number one thing. And, of course, they talked a lot about safety, and we try to be safe but from roof fall accidents and things. But the health part, they completely ignored. And that's why the, we have black lung. They, they didn't, uh, <clears throat> they've never put in place, you, you have a ventilation curtain that you hang beside, like four foot away from the side, we call it a rib, and uh, that forces the air current up to the miner and takes the dust out behind that curtain, but they would they would get torn down. Instead of taking time to shut the miner down, go over there and nail it back up, they just keep mining. The company didn't want us to take time to do that, unless the inspector was present. But I had one inspector to come in, and West Borland had got to where they didn't want to uh, do the thing right, uh, I guess. Uh, but the sampling, they said, we have to send the federal in. The inspector comes in, and he says, I'm going to sample Brock today. And he said, well, he's not going to run his drill today. He's going to be over here in the fresh air. He still let the company exam, uh, sample me that day, which is utterly ridiculous. He might as well not been there. He was wasting his time being there. But they let it go, and they violated the law themselves because the law says the miner should be on his regular job when he's sampled. You know, and a lot of that went on. Uh, also, I'd like to say you before uh, they did before they had the curtains. Uh, the government told them to put the curtains up to run the dust back out to the back airway. Uh, you had to put reflectors on the miners so the shuttle cars could uh, find their way up to the miner, and it's so, so dusty. But then they got the curtains, which helped a whole lot. And then they put water sprays on the miner, which helped. And now they've got scrubbers on the on the miners that uh, that pick up a lot of that dust also. But it don't matter how how dust you got a lot of float dust. It don't matter what where you're at, there's float dust all the time in the air, and that's that's what you're breathing. You're breathing that fine float dust, and it goes into your lungs, and that's what the problem is, you know. It's, uh, it don't matter if you're on the belt line, if you're if you're shoveling around the what they call the feeder, where they dump the coal, uh, or you're on a boat machine, or uh, running a scoop, you're in you're in a dusty atmosphere all the time, uh, picking up dust. It sure, it sure seems like a lot of it comes down to money, doesn't it? <laughs> it does, it does. Uh, you know, uh, they can't operate without the money. I know that, and they can't pay the men without the money. But uh, I, I still think they uh, obligated in protecting the coal miner after after he's gone and left there, and especially after he dies, the widow ought to be protected because my mother 
when my stepfather died, she didn't have a thing to uh, to live on when uh, when he had his heart attack. But she, he retired, and I've seen a lot of coal miners retire thinking that they was going to buy boats and uh, things like that, and then they wasn't able. They didn't live over six months, maybe a year after they retired. And uh, it was over black lung uh, with cancer or heart attack or something like that. It, it all run down back to black lung. Well, you know, uh, well, as, as 50 years ago, they were telling us, the bosses was telling us and the company, safety is production's best partner. Well, safety is talking about accidents, but health, they let that go. And that's, that's a killer, too. It's just a slower killer. And it doesn't show up. They knew it wouldn't show up tomorrow or next week and be on the record until many years later when the miner would die, and he probably would die silently. First thing, the, the biggest piece of advice that I have for anyone, whether they're a coal miner or a widow who's interested in black lung benefits, is that uh, don't try to do it alone. You know, work with a black lung association, work with some people, the black lung clinic, um, you know, work with an attorney, work with someone who can help you with this process because it's long and it's frustrating, but it, it's really important, you know, for you, for your family, and really for our entire region to make sure that this disease gets recognized and gets taken care of in the way that it should. And, you know, that's, that's not going to work if you try to do it all on your own. And then the other thing I wanted to um, kind of, we, we've talked a lot about the increase in black lung and I wanted to, to be specific about that. So what the most recent government data shows from 2017 is that in this area where people can listen to this radio station in Kentucky, Virginia, and West Virginia, that 20.6% of underground coal miners who spend 25 years underground are, are showing up with black lung. So that's one in five career coal miners are getting a preventable, incurable disease. And I think that number's shocking. And, and while we're talking about just this area, really we're seeing a nationwide trend though. Even out west in you know, Wyoming and Colorado and Utah, in the coal mines out there, even there they're showing a doubling of the disease rates since the year 2000. So this resurgence that we're seeing in black lung it's worse here than it is anywhere else, and it's worse here than it ever has been, but it's everywhere. And so I think it, it, is, it does need a national response, and I'm glad that the Black Lung Associations and others are you know, asking their members of Congress to do what they should. Hmm. So a, a couple of you, a number of you, quite a few people are going up to Washington to talk to um, uh, our representatives from the region next week. And, and if you can't go to Washington, what is there something people can do? Um, is a place they can go to uh, make their voices heard? I, I think letters to our congressman and uh, state representative, phone calls, coming to our black lung meeting, and let's uh, try to let's try to stick together and a uh, uh, form of a union of our own. Uh, our Black Lung Meeting uh, support group is uh, the 25th of this month at uh, the health department at 2 o'clock, and that will be one of our discussions, and we will have cards there to sign to the state representative and uh, uh, all the ones that need Hal Rogers Rand Paul, Mitch McConnell, those are the ones that needs to be contacted. Uh, this is the future of the miners and not only Eastern Kentucky. We think some people say, well, we don't need to fool with that because that is only affects a few amount. No, it affects all the miners in the United States. And uh, uh, our, our group of miners is not going to sit by and let this go by. And please come and join us and help us make a, a dent in this and put our point through or no, in November we can do a bit different. And I, you all welcome anybody to come to your meetings, I understand. Yes. Anyone is welcome uh, to come and ask questions. We always have an attorney there. Uh, Appalachian Citizen Law Council has been nice and come and they will answer our questions. If we don't know the answer, we will try to get it to them. 
there's someone every time we have a meeting shows up with papers or something we uh we are a support group and we there to help and uh, we would like to have you and beth will tell us about the virginia group when do you uh, meet well we have uh, i helped uh, establish one in uh, vansant virginia and it's uh, got pretty good response from people attending and becoming members and being active in uh, the fight for black lung and then in norton virginia at uh, North Community Center, uh, we have a meeting at uh, the, s- the first Tuesday in each month at 3 p.m. And, and I've started that one where I'm president. And then I've started one in Harlan, Kentucky also, uh, and they put me in as president there. And we're, we're having the second Tuesday. I try to have it at different times, at different times when they have one here in Whitesburg. And... Uh, so that people can attend, and uh, we're we're uh, meeting in the library there. We don't have funding to to rent a place, so they're letting us meet in the library there in Harlan, and we meet there at 4 p.m. a second Tuesday in each month. And then Ron Carson and I are going to uh, in a few days. We're going to Pineville, Kentucky, to get one started over there. So we need all these chapters to get more voices, more people, and more numbers. And I'd like to also mention I have a Black Lung page. Uh, it's Southeastern uh, uh, Black Lung Association. And uh, I post a lot of pictures and I Facebook. post a lot of dates and so forth. And uh, uh, it's on the website. And uh, if anybody needs any information, they can always find it on that website. Uh, what Jimmy's talking about, this is on Facebook, and it's a Southeast Black Lung Association of Southeast Kentucky. And you can go on and leave comments or anything or any suggestions. We would love to have them. Well, thank you all so much. Um, one thing I know is that if you want more information about um, what's going on and this effort to um, advocate in in, with the Congress people, there is a website called blacklungkills.org, and um, there's more information about the Black Lung uh, Trust Fund, about black lung disease, and ways in which you can act um, if you would like to do that. So check that out, and, and thank you all very much yeah. for coming. I know uh, two of you are going to Washington soon. That's uh, a that's quite a trip, I know. And Patty, thank you. You've been there many times, I know, and you go to Frankfurt all the time. Um, thank you so much for being here. And Evan, thank you for all your hard work and expertise. That's it for this episode of Mountain Talk exploring organizing efforts to save the Black Lung Disability Trust Fund. WMMT's Mimi Pickering spoke with retired miners Bethel Brock and Jimmy Moore, Appalachian Citizens Law Center lawyer Evan Smith, and Patty Ambergie, whose husband died of black lung. Music on this episode features Rich Kirby and Michael Klein with a tune called Black Lung Blues from their album They Can't Put It Back, that album was recorded at Apple Shop's own June Apple Records. If you'd like to hear this or previous episodes again, you can find them on our website at WMMT.org or download Mountain Talk as a podcast on SoundCloud or Stitcher. I've been your host, Rachel Geringer, and from all of us at WMMT, thanks for listening to Real People Radio. gonna cry, but I tell him the reason this poor boy had to die, the conconiosis, black lung blue. You get the one, you get the other, either way. The 
comb, coke and those shoes, a black lung blues. I lay down my pick and shovel, Lizzie's black lung blues. The comb, cornyosis, black lung blues. You get the one, you get the other, either way. Making Connections is brought to you by WMMT Mountain Community Radio. Find out more at makingconnectionsnews.org.